Hello, and welcome to the Podcasts of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And today we're going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 5, Protocol, which is a bottle episode. Now, we described Promise as a bottle episode previously, which I think it technically is, um, although... This fits much more within the usual structure of a bottle episode in that it's mostly just about characters having friction with each other in a very limited space. Yes, no, and not only that, this is also a two-for-one special. We get a bottle episode with uh, Light Hope and Adora, but equally we get a bottle episode with the Cadet Squad, uh, both sort of encompassing the a and b plots respectively yeah so the setup for this one is pretty simple we start off seeing the cadets uh kyle rogelio and lonnie piloting a horde transport through the woods um in a hurry while we also see adora training in the crystal castle being very blasé about it very much like not taking it seriously at all because at this point why should she she can just you know blitz through all this with her eyes closed but uh, during all of that, a weird spore storm starts and shuts down the Horde transport and makes the Crystal Castle go all wonky. Yes, no, we start running into this this fun situation where all of these little uh, golden drops just sort of start floating down. And Light Hope tells us this is a fluke spore storm. Uh, which is seemingly a very rare meteorological phenomenon. Uh, And it's not a great one because all of these spores are made out of horrible acid. Yeah. So one might say, well, why does it melt through metal but not go through flesh? And, I mean, it's for one, it's a spore storm happening in the Whispering Woods. So if there were spore storms that happened every time that just melted through everything, that would be kind of bad. But also I feel like there are lots of things that corrode can corrode metal that aren't necessarily corrosive to flesh. They aren't great to put on your skin, but they won't, like, eat a hole through it. No, yeah, like, there's there's chemicals that are specifically much um, more corrosive to metals than it is to, like, organic compounds, so you have stuff that is, in fact, like, it would, like, melt through a piece of metal probably faster than it would, like, human skin, but, like, still not great, and uh, and we see how not great it is a little later, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, this is not an ideal scenario, and nobody really wants to go outside right now, so everyone's kind of hunkered down a little bit and trying to figure out what to do about the whole situation. Yeah, Adora was in the middle of, yet again, interrogating Light Hope, trying to get some kind of information out of her but all you know she's she's back to her old standard of well when you balance the planet everything will become clear you just got to keep at your training don't worry about it yes and she does this bit actually right towards uh the end of this actually once the the storm kind of starts once it just kind of kicks off and adora is still asking her questions uh light hope kind of does the bit where she 
glitches out and it's at such a specific time that even Adora is like, oh great, avoiding the question. And I have to wonder how much of that glitch is actually the castle itself breaking down and how much of it is her deliberately avoiding the question. Because we see when stuff really starts to go bad, um, she basically just vanishes like she's gone and then comes back as the system's rebooting but when she's kind of avoiding the question she just sort of freezes so i don't know it's hard to tell how much of that is like her using being a computer as kind of an excuse specifically that was during a line of questioning about mara of course it was i mean what else would she avoid the question that hard for yeah, Light Hope, you know, once again says she's unhinged, she was compromised, she got us into this mess. You just have to keep keep faith, just keep at it. Uh, that is, of course, when all hell breaks loose and the Crystal Castle goes completely dark for a minute at the same time that the Horde transport completely shuts down in the middle of the woods. Yes, really inconvenient timing for both of them, frankly. Um, and it's uh, at this point that we are introduced to a new version of Light Hope. Uh, the the castle kind of goes dark for a second, but then the lights come back up. You know, it's, it's, it's all it's all fine, and Light Hope's back. But she doesn't seem to recognize who Adora is, and can't remember much of anything at all. She got rebooted. She got a hard reset. And she's trying to get all her all her memory files back, but for now she's much you know she's much more cheerful, much more expressive, and just generally more emotional than the the cold and duty minded light hope that we are so used to. Yes, we kind of get this fun glimpse into in like a little window into a different version of light hope uh, that may or may not have existed. A light hope that's a little bit more personable, a little bit less concerned uh, with like a single-minded dedication. You know, a light hope that still has, you know, a prime directive, right? Like a light hope that is still very much here to train She-Ra, but a light hope that is also able to joke. A light hope that is able to like have creativity and sort of her own feelings and like opinions on things uh, and this, these are things that we just don't see her engaging in in any other time of the show she's much more of like prior to this moment she's like a very classic like interface ai but this is her really acting more like an independent ai yeah, and Adora, of course, is kind of thrilled by this, because that means maybe Light Hope will actually answer some questions. Uh, no, she can't remember anything. Um, she learned, she remembers how to teleport around, uh, turn off the gravity, and make spiders in that order. Yes, uh, Adora was so excited, too. Like, as soon as she realized that Light Hope she didn't remember that she had to be so secretive she just like gasps and she's so excited like she's like so my name's adora i'm the new she-ra and right before you rebooted you were just about to tell me all about mara and the secret weapon and my past 
and everything I ever wanted to know about anything. And <laughs> Lado was just like, yeah, great. I would love to answer all those questions. That information is not yet loaded. Yeah, Dora, throughout this entire episode, has some great expressions and character animation. Um, obviously, with Light Hope, it's kind of hard to animate her body language because she doesn't really move around that much, uh, even in this goofier mindset. Uh, she is a way more expressive in this episode. Like Her facial expressions actually change uh, from, from time to time, which is a, a, a far cry from the usual Light Hope. Yeah. To be fair, we got that time where her expressions were changing quite a lot and going a little bit Picasso even, but that wasn't really intentional. Okay, well, I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not sure that counts as character <laughs> animation, but uh, Adora has a lot of great just, you know, reaction faces. There's a very good, very brief bit of animation where she gets startled by something and, and gets the like Ghibli style hair poof thing like the the whole body just kind of kind of wigs out for a minute yeah she kind of gets like the the startled cat situation it's really really good I, I love that that specific bit uh there's a just generally speaking a lot of uh really good uh, and also just really funny faces and expressions you got uh wide rohelio happens later which is really funny uh <laughs> And also you get this uh, really cute like frame of Katra during this uh, this scene where she's uh, calling the cadets over the the video phone uh, and she's got, she's got the like uh, God, what do you even call that expression the like like her, she's got she's like biting her cheek, it seems. She just looks very grumpy. Yes, it's a, it's a very cute grumpy face. We're probably going to make that the new icon, actually, so you'll be able to, to catch that one. Speaking of that, though, we should check back in with the cadets, says Adora. You know, there's, there's just a lot of hijinks for a bit. As I said, uh, Light Hope remembers how to make spiders. Doesn't remember how to unmake them. Um, but doesn't remember how to make water. Yes, and spiders can't swim, you see. But, but uh, Adora can swim, but can't breathe underwater. But all, while all of this nonsense is going on, the cadets are stuck. They are supposed to be delivering a armor, some armor plating they stole from a rebel mine to Katra, who uh, calls in and is very, very cross with them. He says on, in no uncertain terms that they have to bring that back. She's she really just dumps all over them for this brief scene. Oh no, yeah, she does not care. She does not care one bit. She is completely single-minded. She is utterly she is she is deep in the throes of her own situation right now. She has exactly one goal and she does not care about literally anything else other than that goal which means when of course the cadet squad is trying to tell her hey you know we're kind of pinned down right now there's an acid storm like the truck is broken down we can't move if we go outside we'll probably die and she just has no sympathy she doesn't care she's not even really paying attention to them she's just like listen i gave you an order you're gonna do that order or i'm going to make bad things happen to you do you understand and she just like she even loses her composure for a minute but she does the 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 really specific tick um that she's been doing lately of just kind of stopping like centering herself doing a deep breath and 
and brushing her hair back, slicking it back, and then resuming that very like steely-eyed, cold persona. Yep, that is a thing that keeps propping up every episode. It's weird, but uh, I really like this this B plot because the 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 cadets gets us some time in the spotlight. So you know, a thing about season four that I really love is how much room it makes for the side characters because there really weren't a whole lot of side character focused episodes in seasons two and three thinking back on it no yeah there was not a lot of side character content and we talked about this a little bit in a few other episodes where we just sort of alluded to the concept of like really appreciating that the show kind of takes very specific care with what side content and characters they elevate in the actual program. And this is one of those instances where they are elevating one of the side arcs to be a major component of the story. And it works really well here. They chose they chose the characters really well. Because the thing is, A, we haven't really gotten to see all that much of uh, the cadets since early on in the show. But importantly, their arc uh, very neatly slots in to the greater themes of the season. You know, it's, it's they're getting their time in the spotlight, but it is also in service of the actual, like, thematic through line of both just the season as a whole, but also specifically for Catra's character arc. They're reacting uh, to Catra's character development and it is changing their own characters as a result because obviously these three are very connected with Katra and Adora and we, we have seen that they they perhaps do not have the world's greatest relationship with Katra in the past but they've been around for a lot of her missions in the first couple of seasons um, and they're they're really feeling like they are not appreciated and we do get to see another bit of Lonnie's feelings about Adora leaving, right? Because in um, in No Princess Left Behind, we get to see uh, Lonnie kind of give it to Adora about leaving. And here again, she says, you know, well, Catra doesn't care about us. Adora left us. Everything that was drilled into us about loyalty is just completely meaningless. Like, it does not matter how much you give to the Horde. They'll just abandon you when you don't when you aren't useful anymore. Exactly. And Lonnie's speech in specific is so important to the show as a whole, to the show moving forward and to this episode. Like, the Cadet Squad is, I think, a window into the Horde as an organization, right? Like, obviously, we see the Horde through a lot of lenses. We see the Horde through a defector. We see the Horde through someone who is trying to climb its ranks. We see the Horde through a defector the other way. We see it through the eyes of its second-in-command and its leader. We see all of these different facets of the organization and how it operates, but the window we get to how the actual soldiers on the ground are doing to how they feel is always through the lens of the cadets, you know? And I think that this speech is a really important, like, understanding of how 
the horde itself is kind of starting to break down. Yeah, exactly. In the uh, tabletop RPG called Kingdom, there are three... Like The Kingdom is about kind of the abstracted process of guiding a kingdom or or a you know you can play it as a spaceship or a colony or whatever have you over a period of time be that you know months years even generations and in that game you play characters you play individuals but each of them can only fall under one of three classifications power gets to decide what to do they get to make the rules perspective characters get to make predictions about the outcomes of power's decisions and touchstone characters reflect the people of the kingdom in their attitudes like a touchstone character isn't the entire population of the kingdom but a touchstone character's feelings are going to reflect on the the sort of people that you don't see on, on the people that that the the rank and file and that is what the cadets are here Obviously, we don't have time to just meet a whole bunch of Horde soldiers. That would be completely meaningless introducing a bunch of Horde goons. But we have these three pre-existing goons that we can use to kind of explore what the Horde is feeling outside of the command structure. And what they're feeling is kind of abandoned and kind of mistreated. Yes, you might say that they are disgruntled employees, and uh, they—they're not having a fun time. They're being—they're being—they're uh, being mistreated. They are being uh, driven into the dirt, and their needs are simply not being addressed, even when they're at their most critical. So, it makes a lot of sense that the general concept, the thought that they are all generally having is that all of the the promises that this organization has made to them are all false and that none of them matter and you know this is this is some important stuff keep that in mind moving forward because this is this is laying some some very important foundational concepts here i think the horde should unionize god can you imagine I mean, I don't know if it would work. I doubt Hordak's feelings on that are very positive, but they should try at least. Listen, someone needs to start disseminating some like some some pamphlets. We need to get some uh, some industrial unionists in here. You need Rahalia to do the pamphlets. <laughs> I would say he should do the speaking, but I don't know how well that would work out. Yeah, yeah. Especially since this episode actually establishes the concept very funnily. Like previous to this, it's kind of implied that. Rogelio kind of has like a Chewbacca situation going on where everyone just kind of understands him innately. Uh, no, no, he actually has his own little speech in this episode that neither Lonnie nor Kyle understand basically anything he says in. I think they can pick up on his intent when he's, you know, sort of being curt and gruff as is his want. But as soon as you get into longer sentences, it becomes way, way harder to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I think the Horde should probably invest in some, like, ASL classes for everyone. I think that would probably be a really good decision. Or, like, I don't know, 
What what language do the lizard men speak? Or that too. They have a lot of them. They have a lot of lizard guys. Yeah, right? They actually do have quite a lot of lizard guys. You'd think, hey, listen, the horde, this is why they need the union. There we go. They need, they need the better resources to allocate towards, you know, better communication. Maybe then they'd get something done once in a while. Like, right. But uh, so we we I guess where do we where do we start as these as these B plots kind of hit their dramatic arc here? Uh, well, we would be remiss. No, of course. To to not to skip over one of the most important parts of uh, of the cadets uh, area here because they play Kyle Ball. So to decide who's going to go out in the hellish acid storm. Uh, they're gonna they they play some rock paper scissors or excuse me bot shield laser. Um, they keep tying, so it doesn't really work. I guess they're too, they're they're too in tune with each other. They keep tying. So Rahelia pulls out a ball and cup, which I don't know. I don't think you can really play competitive ball and cup. Yeah, I mean, I'm not maybe, really sure. <laughs> maybe you can. I don't know, but. Uh, Kyle instead has an idea. Just he he tears the ball out of the cup, and Rahelia is very sad about it. But he is going to to decide it for them, and so we see them uh, playing Kyle ball, which is mostly just involves them throwing a ball around, having it bounce off the walls, and then Kyle tells them how many points they get, which is of course completely arbitrary. Yes. So obviously this is a this is a Calvin ball uh, riff kind of situation. But my favorite bit in this is Rogelio and Lonnie point out to Kyle how arbitrary and stupid the rules are, but they don't, like, actually, like, object to them. Like, there's a bit where Kyle uh, bounces off of, like, a billion things, and then Lonnie's like, oh, hold on. When Rogelio bounces off of that, it lost five points. How come you win uh, from bouncing off of that? And then Kyle explains a bunch of stuff, and he's like, oh, well, you know, Rogelio was standing in the loser zone, and also you aren't wearing the hat, which means you lose five points. And Lonnie complains about it, but she still puts on the dumb hat. Yeah, she just pulls the hat out and puts it on and pouts about it. So, you know, <laughs> they're playing along with it. I guess they don't have anything better to do. Yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do? You're locked in a big tank. It's snowing hell outside. This is what kind of inspires Lonnie's big blow up, though, as as they are, uh, as the t- they kind of get really tired of all of these antics. Uh, she She gives that big speech to Kyle who takes it really hard and he decides you know what i'm gonna go out there on my own i'm gonna fix the truck so he puts on a helmet just a helmet which seems to me you'd want a full suit of horde armor in one of these transports but i guess you know the budget's going elsewhere once again (laughs) again budget cuts we need a union in the horde and hey actually there was that bit Last season, where where Catra was in charge of uh, ordering and requisitioning new suits of armor, I guess she never got around to that. That's right. She never figured it out. She was too too busy plotting Adora's downfall. This is she's not a she's half of her is a really good, she is a really good administrator, just not when she's consumed uh, utterly by a grudge, which unfortunately is most of the time. The thing is, she's not a bad tactician. She's just so utterly consumed by revenge that she doesn't think about anything other than what would hurt Adora the most. Really, honestly, if the if if 
Bright Moon and the Alliance really wanted to exploit her for that, oh god, that'd probably be really easy to do, huh? Yeah, they uh, it would it would it would uh, and probably involve sending Adora into a lot of lots of dangerous uh, like circumstances though, which I'm sure won't be a point of contention at all later in this season. Anyway, um, there so Kyle goes on on his own. And, you know, it's bad. The, the the spores melt through his helmet. And he goes to fix this, like, frayed wire that got melted. And that's when the spores start burning through his clothes and leaving horrible splotches, discolored splotches on his skin. Yeah, it's, like, genuinely, genuinely kind of horrifying. It's, like, this is the most to this point. I feel like this is like the most visual on-screen like damage that anyone has gotten like we got a few like pretty bad ones like there's the bit uh, that we talked about the one time with Catcher doing like the big deep red claw marks into Adora's back but like this Kyle just being covered in like third degree burns all over his body is like really bad like it's it does not seem fun it's probably like more like second degree right third degree is way deeper this looks it doesn't look comfortable it looks very extremely painful but it doesn't look like it cuts below the surface it's just like a really awful like rash almost yeah, I guess this is, like, not really a third-degree burn so much as it's, like, really bad chemical burns, which, hey, you know what? This is one of those situations where they should have had a chemical shower on hand. Listen, that's that's why it's in every science class. You know, I mean, keep this from happening. Does that help with magical, magic chemicals? Well. I mean, I don't know. This is why they need a union. This is why they need a union. Uh, but... <sighs> This is when, uh, you know, Kyle or Lonnie and Rahelio are in the truck and they, they, you know, he made, they're like, you've made your point, Kyle, you can come back in. And that's when Kyle uh, passes out from pain and exhaustion and they realize, oh God, what have we let him do? So they grab this armor plate that Catra really wanted and they'd say, well, if we, if we damage the armor plate, Catra's going to kill us. And they decide, you know what? That doesn't matter. We got to help our friend. Yeah, no. It's like Lonnie very specifically has this face where she's like, oh, but Catra's going to kill us. And then she stops and then she squints a little bit and she's like, like, like very much. She's just like, you know what? Actually, Catra, let's go. Let's go get Kyle. Let's go. Let's go get our boy Kyle. So they do. Lonnie gets Kyle underneath the sort of shield. Rogelio goes to pick up the welding torch. Assuming that Kyle did, wasn't successful in fixing the wiring, uh, and he is surprised to learn that he was in fact successful, and is and is and is, is kind of surprised by that. But they all get in. Uh, one thing, Rogelio has like purple discolorations on his scales instead of the the flesh color of his friends because he's a lizard. Yeah, he's got. Uh, listen, he's got lizard skin. Probably a lot more resilient uh, to this sort of thing. In fact, actually, like, while uh, Lonnie and, and Kyle are having, like, horrible, horrible pain, uh, Rogelio seems, like, phased, but really not that much. It really means he should have probably got, just gone out and done it, honestly. <laughs> right? Like, uh, well, listen, 
Kyle got his very big dramatic moment, and that's really what matters. That is really what matters. And, you know, then their storyline kind of wraps up. Kyle wakes up in the, in the transport, getting bandaged up, and they have this, this very nice moment of kind of reaffirming their friendship. This is where Rogelio's speech comes in. And, you know, even if the Horde is going to set them afloat and if Catra doesn't care about them anymore, they care They care each other. Yes, and that's really, again, that's the really important takeaway for them in the conclusion of this little mini arc here is that, you know, the Horde doesn't care about them, Catra certainly doesn't care about them, but they have each other and that's what's important. They're going to stick together and they're going to stay as a unit. And this... This is, again, a window into how the Horde as an organization is kind of feeling. You know, all of the cadets are kind of banding together a little bit here, and they and, and they, they are feeling very disgruntled and feeling like they're the ones who, who are really bearing the, the weight of all of this. So what's going on in the Crystal Castle? It's normal, right? Oh, yeah, it's totally normal. Uh, absolutely nothing bad is happening in the Crystal Castle. Psych, no, quite a lot is happening in the Crystal Castle. So, um, Adora is on a little bit of a quest here. She is trying to get uh, a crystal to the, like, central data bank or, uh, or whatever. And she needs to, like, uh, do this so that the system can reboot all the way and everything will be fine. Uh, the problem is, though, when she gets there and she's trying to insert this little crystal into the like drive that it goes to surprise there are two of them and light hope directs her to the wrong one and this causes adora to really lash out at light hope all of the frustrations she's built up kind of you know she calls light hope useless which you know i don't think usual light hope 100% functionality light hope would care about being called useless but this cuts deep for light hope here in her more like emotionally vulnerable state um and she just kind of wanders off and adora goes to find her and what does she see her uh, doing well she sees her standing and watching a, a kind of replay of a memory and this memory is of her at some point in the past and mara it's just a scene of mara you know c coming in to give light hope some flowers that she found and just saying just checking in and she she doesn't want light hope to be so lonely and light hope says you know, uh, you know i always treasure when you when you come by the, these flowers are very pretty and she kind of makes a hologram of a field of flowers for mara and light hope here in the present just says you know i this was all i found in my databanks that are currently loaded about mara the, just this memory and a feeling of warmth <sighs> it's so this is this is a really important moment it's such a window into the past of of what light hope used to be and what mara used to be as well because Light Hope, even in this episode, like we mentioned, has been maintaining that Mara ruined everything, that Mara basically ended the world. But this Light Hope doesn't believe that. This Light Hope remembers Mara very fondly and remembers her as as a friend, maybe more than a friend, even. Yeah, I was about to say, when <laughs> Mara and Light Hope here, there's... Yeah, close. They're, they're very close. 
yeah, close is the word that's used, and close is the word I would use as well. I they're very good friends. They're very good friends. I I think it's it's very interesting. Like it is a very interesting idea that there was this kind of implied romance between Light Hope and Mara. I think that that's a really interesting direction to take things. And uh, this is you know this is kind of where <laughs> Adora is honest with light hope is like i you know i i i know that you were trying your best and that you can't you feel like you can't tell me everything you know i'm i'm out here trying not to be the next mara you know i know i I won't be this but i still want to be you know i can never be live up to this but i still want to be your friend um and and so they go and, and reset the the crystal castle finally yeah and what's important to note is that when adora offers this you know extends this hand of friendship and really would like to connect with light hope and like have a connection with her light hope agrees she's like yeah i would really like that i think that would be nice to have some sort of friend again because i imagine it does get isolating and lonely being this you know you can't leave the crystal castle you can't even really move around all that freely the only person you ever really see is the current shira so you know i imagine that would be really nice for leto but unfortunately when she's rebooted and she's back to full functionality this isn't so much on the table whatever light hope Whatever aspect of Light Hope that this is, that we saw in this episode, it is buried deep. And we see why at the end here. So, Light Hope, you know, she's back on her, on her, she's like, balance the planet, everything will be clear, keep training. And Adora, you know, she just gives a tired smile, like, alright, we'll get there, I'll, I'll see you later. And then she walks out. So, the end of this episode is Light Hope watching that memory again. And then saying that this memory was to be destroyed by order of the Heart of Etheria project and wipes it from her memory banks. Yes, it's honestly, it's a very like Portal 2, like Carolyn deleted situation. Yep, it's very, it's very sinister. Like the last shot we see is just Light Hope framed her eyes just sort of glowing as the rest of her body fades away and we cut to credits it's like this light hope is not just someone who is who is so uptight and, and duty driven that she just kind of forgot what it's like to have friends no 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 that's not who we're dealing with here this light hope has shaped her own memory by some directive to become that oh yes no so like Adora is still operating under the assumption that Light Hope is not telling her things because she wants to have things make sense in time and she wants to protect her from becoming Mara. But the implication from this scene does not point in that direction. No, this seems like Light Hope is hiding things deliberately. Light Hope has an agenda. And Light Hope is going to do what it takes to make sure that his agenda gets to the end. And if that means that she has to, like, surgically excise every fraction of her past out of her own brain to make that happen, she's willing to do it. Yep. So that's where we leave Light Hope here. 
Um, and that's where we leave the episode. That's the end. It's it's a really good episode. Like season four, I think maybe has the highest concentration of back to back just great episodes. Even season five has. I mean, there a lot, all pretty much all of season five is great, but there are breaks where there the, we get to breathe a little bit. Like I'm thinking about uh, episode. Is it, I think it's nine or ten. Uh, no, it's uh, nine, where it's basically just a Far Cry level. Um, season four. Not only does season four overall look really good, like there's a lot of episodes that have a lot of personality and a lot of great animation. It's just also really well paced. Yes, exactly, exactly. The pacing is really good. It's really solid. Everything just kind of flows into the next thing it just it really it's just rolling punches it just hits you over and over and over again and each time with just a little bit additional force that's right so before we head off into spoiler town we have some questions uh and i think we're going to start off here with a short little email from casts of strangers fiction the actual play podcast that i guess it on uh, a month or two ago uh plan for the honor shout out to strangers fiction and she says what's your favorite bottle episode in television uh i guess we'll start there because the, the, the question continues on, on another point but what is your favorite bottle episode in anything hmm that's a good question i mean for me the answer is the fly from breaking bad that's just a great episode. The Fly is pretty good. Directed by Ryan Johnson, that episode. Oh, that's fun. I'm I'm always so bad at answering these kind of questions because like I always feel like when somebody asks me like, what's your favorite media thing? Instantly I forget everything I've ever watched in my whole life. Yeah. And I'm like racking my brain to figure it out. <laughs> well, like what's some what's what's some like famous bottle episodes? Uh, I'm trying to think. There's that one episode of, like, Tenant Doctor Who that's really good, Midnight. Yeah, Midnight's not bad. Midnight's not bad. I think Midnight goes a little... Uh, there's, there's like, some there's some weird stuff in Midnight. I, I do like Midnight, though. Um, would you consider... You know what? Okay, thinking about it in my head, I think maybe my favorite bottle episode that I can remember off the top of my head is definitely definitely the zuko and katara episode is that really a bottle episode they're moving around a lot they're moving around a lot but they're they're kind of stuck in the same they're they're in the same emotional location right like they're like it's an emotional bottle it's an episode. emotional bottle so like it's not like physically they're trapped in a room together but like they are emotionally trapped in a room together they are they are stuck inside of the 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 tight terrible little box that is the spite and rage and pain and grief that katara has and that that they're both kind of working through as they try and find the uh the the person responsible for killing her mom i feel like there must be a more traditional bottle episode in Avatar, but it's not really coming to mind. Yeah, I was I was trying to think, but I couldn't. The storm from book one. Yeah, but that's not really. That's more of like a flashback one. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I guess that that kind of does fit 
the model of a bottle episode where it's characters forced into a, a situation, usually through physical proximity, but you know, and the, and physical limitation of travel. But like, yeah, that's definitely something where there there are two people locked in a uh, in a room emotionally, and they got to figure themselves out a little bit. Exactly, exactly. That's a good choice. Um, so next, uh, she also says. Did y'all hear about the Calvin Ball game that the uh, the Hobbit cast of Lord of the Rings made up during filming and how Elijah Wood was desperate to try and understand the rules of this game that Dominic Monaghan and Billy Boyd were just making up? Um, those are Mary and Pippin. Yeah, I, I did not hear about this. Uh, she included uh, a little clip of uh, the, the commentary track that kind of talks about that. And we'll, we'll throw that up with the... Uh, with the episode in case anyone else uh, wants to kind of dig into that. Yeah, it's that sounds exactly like something that I would expect out of the Lord of the Rings cast. Oh yeah, that's it. That those those movies seem like they were a really interesting time like filming that. Yeah, everyone seemed to really be putting their heart into it. Mm-hmm. Like I gotta get get around to watching those at some point. Yeah, I watched the first one. I never watched the other two. Uh, well, actually, okay, I, I watched some of the of the second one but uh not all of it at some point i'll watch them eventually eventually let's sit down and watch all three of those at some point yeah um the last bit here uh anyway what are your thoughts on the kyle rahelio ship given the events of this episode from what i remember rahelio isn't especially nice to kyle has their relationship even started at this point is kyle even more of a teasing sink now that catcher has power over the trio how much of Catra's negative experience with the trio do you think informed her willingness to ignore their plight, or is it all the stress of command? Hmm. So there's a lot of interesting questions. Uh, there's there. a lot of interesting questions. Well, to start off with the Kyle and Rogelio situation, um, Rogelio, I feel like is not. It's not like he's being mean to Kyle in this episode, but he is. I I think like actually defends Kyle. Um, of course, once once uh, Lonnie kind of lays into him with with her speech but um i don't know kyle and rogelio as like a ship is very cute it's it's one of those like side character ships where it's like there's not a whole lot of like material i feel like but it is very cute like conceptually i like it a lot um i think that like this episode reinforces it more than it like undermines it personally oh yeah you know, I don't really remember Rogelio being especially mean to Kyle. I think he is just generally a really gruff guy. But, like, among everyone who's always teasing and making fun of Kyle, he never really joined in that much. Like, he he obviously expressed exasperation or whatever. But I also remember him, like, you know, saving Kyle a few times or helping him out. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I definitely think that Rogelio is someone who who definitely treated kyle better than a lot of other people over the course of the show yeah i think that's true definitely for sure um then is is kyle even more of a teasing sick now that catcher has power over the trio i i don't know that that's true I i would say that this episode kind of proves the opposite of that yeah the with kyle with the three of them now basically in the same boat like there's no real differentiation in catcher's mind between these people anymore they're all they're all just kyle's um although she does she does say why is he talking um when he tries to report in which is which is quite brutal but i think 
they have actually grown closer and less likely to just roast on Kyle. Exactly. I think definitely by the end of this episode, especially their their bonds have really tightened and and they've really woven into each other here. So I think uh, if anything, Katra's power over them has really only reinforced their bonds rather than break them apart which is you know mm, is it a theme uh could be nah what are those that sh- this show doesn't have themes doesn't have themes and then of course there's the last bit here um with catcher's negative experiences does, you know do you think uh informed her her willingness uh to ignore their plight i think that that's part of it i think that uh one of the things that we've brought up before with katra is the concept that she is pushing away all of these people who make up a constituent part of her life before now right like she's she's trying to get close to double trouble because they are of course not really a person that she has any baggage with so them offering any kind of kindness um, or any kind of, you know, cordial rapport or anything like that, like that doesn't have any like emotional stuff, you know, crust around it like it does for everyone else. Um, so so she's very willing to, to meet them on an equal footing there. But when it comes to everyone else, she is subconsciously or consciously, I think a little of both, like deliberately kind of pushing them away and trying to kind of get perceived vengeance against them for any number of reasons. And I think in this case, definitely like some of the teasing and ribbing that happened in the past is playing into this a little bit. Yeah, they're like, she's, I'm sure she's not just, she's not treating random goons well, but I'm sure they are not receiving the kind of personal ire that the cadet trio are receiving. It's just another kind of layer of her self-victimization and blaming everyone else all the time for everything. Exactly. And just punishing everyone as as, as much as she can at all times. That is that is the sort of theme of, of season four Catra here. Yes, it is. Though that all being said, the stress of command, probably a little bit probably a little bit i imagine it's a little bit stressful to uh to lead a whole army especially when hordak is just not doing much and just building stuff in his lab as he usually does god so moving over to curious cat we've got uh, a few anonymous curious cat users here one says did you guys know that in the original she-ra seahawk and adora were a couple and catcher was jealous of adora because she liked seahawk too and wanted to get rid of adora that's so cursed. I cannot. I can't even begin to imagine that. Like, n- what? No we, way. We did see a thumbnail when we were browsing the um, the YouTube channel where we get the, the videos for the, the She-Riffs, which is an official one. Like, they just put all of He-Man and She-Ra on YouTube. Yeah, you can go just watch all of it if you want. Yeah, you can go watch all of it. And we did see a thumbnail of Adora and Seahawk making out, which, by the way, 80s Seahawk... 80s Seahawk is, uh, something. <laughs> very bad. And... This entire thing is just so cursed to think about. I don't want to think I about it. I don't want to think about it. It's it's bad. See this. <laughs> uh, 80s Shira was 
It was a show. In the business, we call that compulsory heterosexuality. <laughs> a little bit. All of this, this whole show, this whole show was just born out of the, the Noel Stevenson shipping Katrin Adora as a child. Like, that's all this, this is how all of this came about. And you know what? Good on ya. you. You really, you really knocked it out of the park with this one. Yeah. So, next, we've got one from another anonymous curious cat user. I find it a bit troublesome how everyone stomps on Kyle all the time. Like, I have a real problem digesting humor where the joke is inept character gets hurt. Yeah, I can I can feel that. I can feel that. I think that, you know, a lot of people who maybe had to deal with, like, being the butt of the joke in the same way Kyle is, you know, it's not going to sit super well seeing a lot of the stuff with Kyle. So, like, I, I, I feel that. I feel that. I think that this show, like, doesn't make that, like, a super core feature of anything. Like, I think that Kyle is mostly a joke character. He gets, like, in this episode especially, more time to, like, be his own person. But at the same time, you know, there there is that angle of it, for sure. And yeah, and for what it's worth, that stops after this episode, pretty much. Like, we're on the other side of that. Kyle is still in the show, but he's way less the, like, go-to punching bag as things start to get way more serious. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that kind of sets it apart for me for, like, a, a lot of these kind of characters who get uh, used in this way. I think the the thing that really sets Kyle apart for me is that Kyle is like him being the butt of the joke character consistently is more of in service of this kind of arc that his character takes than it is necessarily just a feature of him as a whole, um, which is nice, right? Like there, this show does not really have very many like punchline characters and the ones that do exist are typically still going to have their own arcs and like exist in service of the show in a way that isn't just to be a punchline like seahawk of course is a good example um swift wind and and kyle right like that that element exists but they do still get their own time to grow a bit so so i think that while i agree that that kind of humor is very hit or miss depending on who you are and what kind of experiences you have. I think that this is this is definitely a character where that is like pretty minimized uh, overall. Yeah, for sure. So the last one here is a, is a multi, is one of those classic multi questions from an anonymous curious catcher user. Uh, one of these points is going to be in the spoiler zone, so uh, we'll do hit point one, point two, and point four here. Point number one, where is all the space in the Crystal Castle? Where Adora had to plug in the crystal and to reboot Light Hope, it looked like they were in a catwalk high up. Were they simply underground with that simply projected around them? Listen, we got we got ourselves a classic TNG holodeck situation. How does it work? <laughs> First one's tech loves to make weird holodeck spaces it's there they got they they were really good at that oh yes no the whole the whole floor of the crystal castle is just one big omnidirectional treadmill everyone's just walking in place like this is a big vr center do you think light hope 
sometimes goes on wacky holodeck adventures. Oh yeah, for sure. Light Hope definitely has has some uh, has some adventures on the HMS whatever it was that Picard was on. <laughs> she becomes Sherlock Holmes. She <laughs> goes to like 1930s New York for a gangster drama. Yeah, she definitely sings uh, Modern Major General. I know that. Point number four. What do you think the symbolism is of Catcher brushing her hair back down as soon as it gets messed up? Well, <laughs> that that is a loaded question, my friend. All right. So this tick Catra has. So we already discussed in the in the first episode of the season that she clipped off her quote unquote baby baby tufts on the side of her head, the sort of lighter colored fur that she has had uh, the whole series. Maybe partially because the last time she spoke to Shadow Weaver, she, you know, did that sort of, you know, she she stroked them as a form of physical manipulation. But she also, not only did that, she also smoothed her hair down. Season 4 Catra's hair is way less wild and puffy. It's way more smoothed down. And this is, the very obvious reason for this is that she's trying to project the cold, calculating horde leader that she wants to be. She is all business, no nonsense. That's the wardrobe change. That's the haircut. That's everything. Yes, exactly. Like, she is trying to project the steely-eyed facade of, uh, of, of the leader of the horde. She is trying to not just replace Shadow Weaver and Hordak, not just supplant them, but she's also, I think, subconsciously trying to emulate them. And one of the things that is required for that is to have this, this very calculating and very professional facade. So one of the ways that she, this is expressed in her as a character um, design-wise is, of course, this, the, the pushed-back, combed-back hair. And you'll notice that whenever she kind of starts to fall into these older behaviors, when she snaps at people, she starts to get a little bit out of control emotionally. She starts to really lay into people. You know, her hair will get a little bit frizzier. It'll start to kind of open up a little bit, get a little bigger. And then she stops herself. She recomposes. She she takes a deep breath, slicks the hair back. She pulls all of that back in and clutches it tight to the chest and she tries to bring the facade back up and that's really really important to understanding where she is in season four she is building up that facade bigger grander more imposing than it ever has existed before but she's doing it at the expense of absolutely everything else. She is ripping the bricks off of the supporting, you know, the load-bearing pillars here, and she's using them to prop up the decorative fencing. She's the she's playing the world's most dangerous game of Jenga with her psyche. Oh yes, and uh, we'll we'll all get to watch in real time as uh, as we see how that game of Jenga ends. Uh, can't imagine that it goes poorly goes fine she's normal yes i think you'll find that catcher is very neurotypical very neurotypical very normal no problems no problems trauma doesn't have that i don't know what you're talking about oh no uh but with that we are reaching the end of our uh pre-spoiler section but before we head off into the spoiler zone we have a patreon sure do 
that just this week we put up our you know our latest monthly thing the she riffs where we watch old episodes of Shira and make fun of them in the form of a syncable commentary track. Because everything is more bearable with us making fun of it over it, especially that stuff. Yes. It's uh it's a pretty it's a pretty fun time. Uh this this one we saw the origins of Flutterina, which boy that's that's a weird one. Um we also have a few other things. We've got the Kipo cast and the Owl cast. Uh, these are where we watch the Keepo and the Age of Wonder Beasts in the Owl House, and these are both great shows. We've got an episode of uh, Keepo coming out uh, this week, I believe. That is correct. Uh, yeah, those are bi-weekly, switching every other uh, time. We're going to start Season 2 this week of Keepo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. Very exciting. Yes, very exciting on that one. We also have uh, other various bonus episodes we do every now and again. Uh, we've got the Watchtower, which is every month we sort of uh, coagulate a bunch of fun fan content. Uh, we got, you know, fix, we got AMVs, fan arts, all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, that's coming up at the end of the month here. Uh, this month's theme, of course, is Glimadora. So if you have any uh, fun Glimadora content you want us to maybe feature on that uh, video podcast, feel free to shoot it to us yeah twitter is uh at podcast power our patreon patreon.com slash pot of power uh and you can find all sorts of stuff there and you know there's not just excellent content basically every week you also get shout outs in episodes if you're a force captain so thank you to our retinue of force captains here ashley kyra williams mabel mabel ryan coon Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Neuro, Olivia, Andres Lozano, Brittany Ray, Michael Steinert, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, Tobu, Emma Grossman, Robert Harris, and Danielle DuPont. Thank you very much. We really appreciate all the love and support. You guys are great. And uh, we definitely look forward to uh, to bringing you even more fun content in the future. But for now, that's going to do it for uh, this side of the spoiler zone. So if you're uh, taking your leave, we'll uh, catch you later. But if you want to talk about some uh, some spoiler stuff, we'll see you on the other side. through reading that that second question i realized it was a spoiler so let's go ahead and get that one out of the way um yes that was we 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 cut that off but uh we both we both had kind of realization we're like oh nip nip that one so the second one here is uh when when, where did that special metal that they had to deliver so quickly get to as far as i can remember the plan involved invading the sea towns while dt distracted the princesses the only metal that seemed involved was hordak's arm cannon was that where the metal went, or was it somewhere else? I mean, the metal seemed to be destroyed. 
Yeah, so like the the actual convoy itself, like the 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 big bug tank they were in had a ton of boxes in there and I guess the implication was that all of these boxes had the armor plating in it, but then we only see like the one piece that they pull out. I would assume that there was probably more of that special plating in there, but it just may have like gotten not used or it, like whatever catcher's plan was needed like every single piece and because they didn't have all of it that she just like abandoned that or I don't know. It's it's probably something like that. The other answer is that this was just completely arbitrary and she was just <laughs> sending them to do it like yeah just to mess with them yeah i mean the real answer like the real answer is just it's kind of a framing device and that it doesn't actually matter but um as far as like the actual like internals of the show are concerned you know probably it was like some kind of like you know you you could say that maybe she needed like all of it or something yeah and the third one, the meatiest one here, which will be the main thrust of the spoiler zone. Yes. Did the light hope that partially loaded act different because they did not have the changes in programming that were applied to light hope after Mara uh, left for the rebellion, or was it something else? Also, it seems way smarter for light hope to tell Adora uh, when she asks about the weapon. It's so good that you should use it rather than keep it a secret. So let's start. I want to start with that one because there's a very good reason why she probably wouldn't want to tell Adora about the Heart of Etheria. Because when the last She-Ra learned what the Heart of Etheria was, she didn't like it. No, so I imagine that with Mara, she probably did tell her that it was really good and she should use it. Uh, I imagine she was really excited to share with her friend what the Heart of Etheria was. Um, That didn't work out so well. So I imagine this time she's not really willing to repeat the same mistakes uh, in terms of getting the giant uh, super deathly Death Star thing to fire. She wants Adora to balance the planet. And also, she can't actually use the weapon until all of the gemstones are online, which, as a reminder, the Black Garnet is currently disconnected from everything. Yes. Now, that all being said, you know balance the planet is a little bit vague light hope i feel like you know if you're in the position of light hope i feel like maybe you're just you you know you you'd be a little more straightforward like hey the black garnet maybe uh fix that up for me here that's how you balance the planet like i don't know that adora would have come to that conclusion but that brings us to the main point here how much of light hope the light hope that Mara knew is actually left. Because clearly, there is some. It has been forcibly wiped by the, the Heart of Etheria project. They have, they have instructed Light Hope to destroy all uh, materials concerning the Rebellion. But, like, we see later, during, you know, the end of Destiny Part 2, she is, there, there's, that, there's that point where she's saying, don't do it, except, you know, the do it part is is a different intonation that is clearly telling Adora to break the sword. Yes. So the thing is how how much of this light hope is left? It's hard to say 
Um, I think that at this point, it's a very, like... It is kind of a GLaDOS situation a little bit. Like, you know, we in, in the episode itself earlier here, uh, I kind of alluded to the whole Carolyn deleted situation. And um, I guess spoilers for Portal 2? It's Big spoilers <laughs> for Portal 2. Yeah. So, Portal 2, the main conceit. And before I even start, what a great game. I need to replay it. God, it's so good. But Portal 2, the whole thing is that GLaDOS ends up getting disconnected from the mainframe by Wheatley, a core that was made to be so stupid that it, that he would shut down GLaDOS entirely. That is the purpose of him. He is meant to be annoying and stupid. So GLaDOS ends up getting uh, put in a potato and stuck to the portal gun and kind of has to swallow her pride and work with Shell, the test subject he has been torturing for god knows how long except when she's separated from the mainframe of you know aperture science she kind of ends up liking shell and remembering that oh glados is an ai that was based on a person yes glados is based off of the brain scans of a woman named carolyn who was cave johnson's wife and um carolyn ends up gradually over time you know losing kind of her sense of self and becoming this single-minded machine that only cares about its prime directive which in gladys's case is testing to what end there really isn't one but testing you know for light hope that single-minded end is firing off the heart of etheria and both of them have these moments where they are reminded in a moment of compromised processing power they are reminded of that past and that past comes to the front of their consciousness and once they regain their processing power they make the decision to delete the memory of that past they are doing everything they can to not remember the people that they used to be not just because that's necessarily like in light hope's case an order but because it is painful to remember those things and yet neither of them can really fully escape that because the end of portal 2 obviously there's the turret opera showing that glados despite ever all of this stuff that's just oh caroline was a weakness i got rid of her mm, sure uh you still like shell though and just like that with light hope the end clearly shows that there is a bit of light hope that still remembers Mara and doesn't want the the heart of Etheria to fire. Exactly. And this is really one of the core things about Light Hope as a character, is that she is the personification of duty, but not just exclusively that. She is a person who is molded to fit this, who through various means and various uh, traumatic incidents has been forced to become this personification of duty something that she is trying to mold adora into as well and it's it's a very important aspect of her character that in the end she still tries to to help adora that she tries to actually 
go against this programming that has been put into her. So as far as how much of that light hope is still around, it's hard to say, but definitely an amount, and not an insignificant amount. Adora, despite all of everyone telling her she has a great destiny, does have a choice. Light Hope doesn't have a choice. There's no choice for Light Hope. The directives guiding her are too strong and too ingrained. There are glimmers of what she used to be, of, of the person who is under there, beneath all of all of the kind of automated and, and drilled-in directives, the duty that she serves. But ultimately, she can't break those bonds, and she dies free, but she dies exactly she she does die and this is again this is an important part of a lot of the the people in 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 this in this show who end up going out in this way like really thinking about it all of adora's like parental figures all kind of bite it in this show you know you have you have angela who sacrifices herself and then you have, uh, I mean, really, all three of them sacrifice yourself. Angela, Shadow Weaver, and Light Hope. All three of them, in their own ways and for their own reasons, sacrifice themselves to give Adora a chance. A fighting chance at life. A fighting chance to continue and to be something that isn't bound to what she is now. So all three of them, let, let's, let's zoom in on choice here. All three of them make a choice. Angela makes a choice. She chooses to be brave. She chooses to sacrifice herself instead of Adora. Light Hope has no choice in this matter. Light Hope must fire the heart of Etheria. The only thing she can do really is stall. The, the only thing she can kind of do is encourage Adora through these half-heard phrases through these these gaps in her speech shadow weaver always could have chosen to be better always could have been the better person but she isn't she chooses time and time again the same path the same actions the same horrible horrible things yes and in the end shadow weaver chooses not to change to continue her path and to ingrain or attempt to ingrain a legacy of her being the best of all of them when really she never was to begin with and it is really this interesting aspect uh that the three of them kind of embody the progression the stagnancy and the regression of of the three of them yep they are reflections of each other in many ways and you know there are a lot of dead moms in this show, huh? There sure are. It's, I mean, listen, it's a the framing device works decently well. I mean, it would be nice if there were a few that maybe made it out every now and again, but it is it is a very functional framing device. We don't see any of the previous princesses. Who knows where they are? God. Scorpius moms probably didn't fare that well. Yeah, who's to say what happened to them? I mean, it, it there there is probably something to be said about the kind of generational trauma, and maybe we'll get into that with um, Horde Prime. Oh yes, actually, that would probably be a good time to talk about that kind of stuff. 
But yeah, we we could talk, of course, about more about Light, Hope, and Mara. But the thing about season four is that a lot of things that it brings up, it comes come home to roost pretty quickly, uh, because in about five weeks or so, uh, actually four weeks, we're going to be talking about season four, episode nine, Hero. Oh yes, which is. One hell of an episode. Yes, if you like uh, Light Hope content, boy howdy, have we got some Light Hope content for you coming up in the future. Hey, do you like tragedy? I sure do. Oh, yes. Uh, tragedy almost of the Greek variety, even. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a rough one, but uh, but that's coming up in the future, and we'll we'll really dig as deep as possible, I think, into into Light Hope here on that one. Uh, but for now. I think that's going to do it for us this week here at Pot of Power. Mm-hmm. I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I have been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.